0: Well, we are continuing in Ephesians, we have made it to chapter 6 today, and so I'd invite you to turn there to Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to remind you that Paul is continuing to tell the church how we are to be who we are in Christ, and how to put Jesus on display for the watching world by the way we relate to one another in everyday life, and last week we Talked about how we do that in marriage, uh, this morning in family life, next week in the workplace. And then Eric will remind us that living this way is itself spiritual warfare. And then Robert's going to follow up with that to teach us about how to pray in the midst of carrying out this mission that we've been given to put Jesus on display in the way we relate to people. So let's stand and hear these brief verses from chapter six, verses one through four from the Apostle Paul. Hear the word of the God who loves you. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and I'll pray. Father, would you help us this morning to hear your voice? Uh, In these words from Paul, would you um, enable us to focus and to listen and to put ourselves under the word of God, uh, which is for our good and for your glory and for uh, the good of our neighbors and the nations and the next generation and for all of our gladness. So would you do that in us, we pray this morning in Christ's name, amen. You'll remember, I think, that this letter, along with Paul's other letters, were sent to cities like Ephesus, and the church in those places met in houses. So they didn't necessarily at that time have places like this where they could gather. So some of the Christians in those uh, cities would invite other Christians to their homes for a meal and for a time of worship. And so Paul would write these letters, and send them to Ephesus, for example, and that letter would circulate through all the house churches. So I want you to imagine this morning that we're in a house church in Ephesus, and everyone's finishing up dinner, uh, things are getting cleaned up, everybody's getting comfortable, and uh, the father of the house uh, gathers everyone into one large room, says, Come on, everybody, let's sit and listen. Uh, Our our brother Tychicus has just arrived from Rome, and he has been with the Apostle Paul, our our great friend and pastor, the Apostle Paul. And Paul has written a letter to all of us, to all of the house churches in Ephesus, and Tychicus would like to share it with us and, and read it to us. And so everyone's excited, they want to hear what the great Apostle Paul has to say to them about Jesus and about how to follow Jesus in Ephesus and so Tychicus reads the letter and he gets to this place where he says children now that says a couple of things first of all it tells us there were children present children who could understand what Paul was saying were present in the room to also hear everything that Paul was saying to their parents and the other adults and their grandparents. Um, So this stuff is uh, not just for grown-ups that Paul is sending to the church in Ephesus. The apostle Paul wants to say something to you, children, to you, young ones, and so, I hope that maybe your heart right now, if you were sitting in that house, your heart would be excited. What? Wait, the Apostle Paul wants to say something to me? I hope it's good. Well, hang on. <laughs> Children of Mountain Fellowship, Paul has something to say to you. But before he says something to you, I, Pastor Jimmy, have something to say to you first. And I want you to hear this. We love you. We love you a lot. You guys are amazing. I just spent Wednesday night, uh, had the privilege of teaching eight of our middle schoolers. And I just have to tell you, they're some of the sharpest, brightest, most joyful, eager to learn about Jesus middle schoolers that I've ever been around. Uh, you parents are doing great work. <laughs> uh, they're just a delight. They're a joy to be around. We love you guys, um, and we're so glad. So glad that God gave you to your families and to our church family. Psalm one twenty seven says that children are a heritage from the Lord. That means an inheritance, a gift. And it goes on to say they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior so that he can do battle in the way that God has called him to do battle in the world. And so we're so excited and so grateful that God has given you to us. And so here, as, as I say these things that I'm about to say about what God wants for you as a follower of Jesus, know that it's coming from a place and from people who love you um so let's let's jump in what does paul have to say to children and, and by the way children don't worry your dads are next so no dads should be leaving the room before this sermon is over good um, the reason paul speaks directly to you children teenagers in these verses is because he wants you to know that you are as much a disciple of Jesus as anyone else in our church. Just as much as any adult here, you have been called by Jesus to follow him, to know how deep and wide and high and broad his love is for you. And he longs to fill you with all the fullness of Jesus until you begin to overflow with that love to the people in your life. And you may think, well, I'm too young for all that following Jesus stuff. I'll do that when I get older. That's that's what adults do. They, They take that stuff seriously. But because Paul is speaking directly to you in this letter, he's saying, no, you're never too young to follow Jesus. You're never too young to know his love for you. You're never too young to share his love with others in your everyday life, at home, at school, in your neighborhood, and wherever you go. You're not too young to follow Jesus. Paul's been telling all of us in this letter that God has made us new people in Jesus. We are new people. You, if you are following Jesus, you're a new person. And Paul has told us that the spirit of Jesus lives in us so that we together can all put Jesus on display to show Jesus to everyone around us by the way we relate to them, by the way we love them. And so in these verses, Paul is going to say that you can show Jesus to your family and to your friends by the way you relate to your parents. What I'm trying to get you to see is that just obeying your parents is not just something you've got to do because you're a kid. It's something you get to do because Jesus lives inside of you and you're his disciple. And he, he wants to, through you, show your parents how much he loves them. So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the most important relationship you have is with your parents. And Paul is saying that for you as children... This is the most important way that you right now in this part of your life can be a follower of Jesus. The most important way that you can follow Jesus is to obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And so Jesus through Paul is asking you to be like Jesus in your family, to show your family what Jesus is like by the way you relate to your parents. Now that's a whole new way of thinking about being a child or a teenager. And Paul's not asking you to do something that Jesus has not done himself. You remember? Jesus is God, right? But he came in a human body to rescue us humans from our sin. And in order to come in a human body, he had to first be a baby and then he had to grow up as a child under human parents. Now, if you think it's hard to be a parent of the perfect human, think about how hard it is to be the perfect child of imperfect parents. Jesus was raised by Joseph and Mary who loved him, but who were by no means perfect parents. So, you're not the only one who's being raised by imperfect parents, okay? Jesus did it first. And Luke tells us that Jesus, the only perfect human, and I'm quoting Luke, was submissive to his parents. Think about it. Think about it if you're the perfect child. The perfect child Jesus did what his imperfect parents told him to do. He learned how to honor them and obey their rules. This is the one who created them. He honored them and obeyed their rules. He did the chores they assigned him to do. And he didn't use supernatural powers to get it done. You know, it was sweat. He learned how to read and even memorize the Bible that his parents taught him and said, you gotta go to, you got to go to worship, you got to go to Sunday school or Sabbath school, you've got to go, you've got to read the Bible, you've got to memorize it. Back then, Jewish boys and girls memorized chunks of the Old Testament. He learned how to get along with his selfish brothers and sisters so not only was this perfect child parented by perfect par- uh, imperfect parents, he had selfish brothers and sisters. He had to learn to love them too. And he learned from his father how to work as a carpenter. It's amazing, isn't it? God loves you so much that he became a boy who lived under the authority of his human parents because it was the only way that he could, as a human, pay for the sins of humans like you and me. He loved you that much that he obeyed his imperfect parents. And he did all that because he was obeying his heavenly father. He obeyed his earthly parents because he was obeying his earthly father. Jesus told his disciples, I only say what my father tells me to say and I only do what my father tells me to do. Jesus lived his entire life in obedience to his father, God. And his final act of obedience to his father was to die on the cross for your sins and my sins and your parents' sins so that we could all be God's children, and have him as our father and Jesus as our brother. The Bible says that being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you and for me and for your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters. And Paul this whole time has been saying that Jesus the obedient son of God lives in all of God's children by his spirit. So this obedient son lives in you. So that now we all have the power to show what Jesus is like to others by the way we obey and honor our parents. This is what Paul means when he said, children, obey your parents in the Lord. The only way you'll be able to obey your parents like this is to obey them In the Lord, Jesus. By asking Jesus to help you obey them when it's hard. And I know sometimes it's hard. (laughs) By asking Jesus to forgive you when you fail to obey them. Because you will fail to obey them. But Jesus will forgive you because of what he's done in obedience to his father. He can forgive you. So, Children, just by obeying your parents, you get to show everybody Jesus. That's amazing. And then Paul says there's something else that's kind of a reward to that. He, He tells us about the fifth commandment again. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. What's that promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, you might... Your parents may have said what I said to my parents. The Bible says that if you honor your father and mother, you might get to live (laughs) a little longer. But that's not what Paul means. Okay, It, it might be true, but it's not what he means. What Paul is saying is that living in obedience to your heavenly father by obeying your earthly mother and father is the way you were made to live. This is real life. This is where life is at. If we live the way God made us to live, then we'll function as humans were made to function. In other words, if you'll obey your mom and dad, you'll experience what life is supposed to be like more than if you wouldn't, if you didn't. Life will go well for you. Um, they will teach you how to love God and love others because the fifth commandment is the hinge of all the 10 commandments. The first, uh, the, four, the first four commandments are about loving God. The last five commandments are about loving people. And the middle one is number five, honor your father and mother. It's because in your family and in your relationship with your parents, that's where you first learn how to love God and love people. That's where it happens, right there in your house. While you're at home, you're learning how to submit to God's authority in your life, and you're learning how to serve people. And that's what life is all about, loving God and loving others. And it starts with loving your parents and loving your family. All right, children, now I'm going to talk to your fathers. So you can kind of relax a little bit. But just remember, one day you're going to be a parent, probably. So you might want to take note. And by the way, yes, this is for fathers, but moms can learn a lot from this too. Fathers, Paul has some very strong words for us. Do not provoke your children to anger. Oh, boy. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, brothers, men, again, just like we saw last week, we are given the responsibility and the opportunity to build a Jesus-shaped marriage, which don't take this out of the context of what he said right before it last week. Your marriage is the first uh, context in which your parenting is set. The first thing you can do for your children is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. But we're given this responsibility and an opportunity to build a Jesus-shaped marriage <coughs> in a, a gospel-shaped family. God gave you your children. As I said, Psalm 127 says that children are like arrows that have been given into the hands of a warrior so that that warrior may shape them for effective flight in the battle for God's kingdom. Those children are God's, not ours. But they are on loan to us as he's asked us to steward them and prepare them for his mission in the world. And so how do we do this? Paul says, first of all, that your relationship with your your children is primary. It's foundational. Your relationship with your children is the context for all of the training you are to give your children, fathers. Well, where do I see that? He doesn't use the word relationship, but listen to what he says. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. And the word bringing them up is is nourish. It's the same word he used last week about what Jesus does for his bride. He nourishes her. So we don't provoke our children. We nourish them. And it requires a certain kind of relationship, a relationship that's modeled after the love your heavenly father has for you and has shown to you. It's a relationship that doesn't discourage your child, but nourishes your child. Paul Tripp has written about parenting in ways that I, I highly recommend to all of you. This book, Parenting by Paul David Tripp 14 Gospel Principles that can Radically Change Your Family. Um, it's excellent stuff. And let me just read you what he says. He explains this relationship so well. Fathers, in the lives of your children, you are the look of God's face. You are the touch of his hand. You are the tone of his voice. You have been put into your position as parent to display before your children how beautiful, wise, patient, guiding, protective, rescuing and forgiving God's authority is. This means you don't let your anger at your child's disobedience control you so that you do things that you should not do. For example, pinching, poking, yanking, slapping, shoving your child. It means that you never combine your discipline with berating, demeaning, or condemning talk like, what are you, stupid? I can't believe that you're my daughter. I've forgotten more than you'll ever know. It means you don't treat your child as your indentured servant there to make your life easier. You should never exercise authority in a way that makes it look as though you're breaking relationship with your child. You should never let your exercise of authority be dictated by your mood. So friends, fathers, the relationship that we have with our children is the context for our training. When we are training them about the love of their heavenly father, we must model it. This is how we show Jesus to our children. Jesus said, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is what Christian fathers do. They love their children as their father in heaven has loved them. And this means, brothers, that the great pursuit of our lives is to know what it means to live as sons of the Father, to know what it means to hear him say as he said to Jesus and can now say to us because of Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The great pursuit of our lives, men, is to know our Father's voice, to hear our Father's voice and believe it when he says, you're my son. I love you, and I'm pleased with you. Those were the words that defined Jesus and shaped his life, and they should define and shape ours. Now, as we work to relate to our children with the love of our Father, as he's shown it to us in Jesus, Paul says, then, you must ready your children to live in the love of their heavenly Father, as it's shown to them in Jesus. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I agree with Scotty Smith when he says that this word discipline is not narrowly about punishment, but it's the broader idea of training and formation, which includes, but is not mainly about correcting what's wrong. You know, if if you're teaching your kids how to hit a baseball or to mow the lawn, or to cook a meal, or how to be a good friend. There's a lot more involved in that training than just telling them when they get it wrong. That will most certainly provoke them to anger. You must also teach and model it. You must try to catch them doing it right and then reinforce it. And yes, you correct them when they do it wrong, but you don't correct them in anger or condemnation or ridicule. So we we teach and model, encourage and correct with the purpose of helping form and train them for that purpose or task. And how much more important is it than to form and train our children so that they learn the Lord's purpose for them? And what is his purpose? John summarized it so well in in 1 John 4.19 when he said, This is how he summed up the entire Christian life, and this is what our aim is as parents. He said, we love because he first loved us. That's that's the life we hope for our children to catch from us. And we must teach and model and encourage and correct to help them be formed into people who love God and others because they're convinced that God loves them first. This is primary. This training must be the priority and must permeate every other kind of training for our children. And how do we do this? I wanted to share with you what I think is one of the most helpful explanations of how to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord that I've ever come across. Again, (coughs) our friend Paul Tripp, in his book, Age of Opportunity, A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens, you need it. And notice it's called Age of Opportunity, not Age of, oh, no, okay? This is, this is a great, this helped me so much, and I think it, it, it will help you. Here's, here's how we can do this for our families. In the family, we learn what it means to love God and love people because our family is like a a laboratory for learning how to love. It's the lab where we get the instruction from God's word on how to love God and love others. Uh, But in the family, that's where we can put it into practice. And so um, I'm I'm changing a little bit of his language, but Paul Tripp says uh, there's two ways we can do that. And the first is to see the family as a God-centered community. That's the first commandment, Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so he says, Paul says, the goal is to root our children's identity in the existence and glory of God. Root their identity in the soil of the glory and goodness of God. To say that the family is a theological community means that we're always viewing everything, in reference to God, who he is, what he's doing, and what he wants us to be and do. do. So the family is a God-centered community, and we must work as fathers and mothers to make sure that everything is connected to God. I've told you this story before. It's worth saying again in case somebody missed it. When Abby, our oldest, was uh, 12, I believe, uh, we were talking about stars in the heavens or something, and, and I said something like, "Hey, Abby, did you know that the Bible says that God named all the stars? He knows all the names of the stars." And Abby, in her classic 12-year-old, I'm going to assert a little bit of my independence and, and wisdom, uh, said to me, "Ah, oh, Dad, why does everything have to be about God and the Bible?" I have permission to share this story. Um, and Christine and I just kind of went, and I just said, well, because everything is about God in the Bible. And now she would be the first to tell you that everything is about God in the Bible. But that's what that's almost kind of the reaction you want to get out of them, is that we have made everything so much about God And what he says about himself in the Scripture and what he says about everything in the Scripture, that they're forced to say, why is everything about God in the Bible? Well, because it is. So the family is a God-centered community. Everything is connected to God. But the family is also a people-serving community. So there's this horizontal element to the family, which is the second great command, to love your neighbor. So we... We model that, we practice that in our family. Paul Tripp says, children also need us to root their identity in community. And the family is a community and it will model a view of community whether it realizes it or not. He says, we must work to uncover the issues of the heart that are the real reason for conflict in the family. There's no better place to do this than in the family. Here in the family, they will face the utter impossibility of loving neighbor as yourself, apart from the help of Christ. The family is the context, he says, where the child's true heart towards relationships is consistently exposed. It provides situation after situation where what is ruling the heart gets revealed. And I've said this before, but in our family growing up, there's, we, we use this language. There's two things that can rule your heart. It can be a me first heart or a you first heart, you God and you others heart. And so in the family, in our relationships with one another, we constantly have opportunities to uncover what's ruling the heart. Is it me first ruling the heart or is it God ruling the heart with a, with a you first um, desire? <coughs> So if we build into our family this God-centeredness and this people-servingness, they will constantly learn in, in the laboratory, this is what you were made for. You were made to love God and love people. But remember what the verse said, we love God and people because he first loved us. So there's one more crucial piece to this whole thing. The family is also to be a gospel-shaped community where our children learn to repent and believe the good news. Paul Tripp says, As parents faithfully hold themselves and their children to God's high standard of loving him and loving others, children will begin to see their utter need for Christ. Two kinds of experiences with sin will take place. They will experience being sinned against and they will experience their own sin against God and others. He says, each of these experiences is an opportunity to bring your children to the one place of hope and help to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as they're learning that everything is centered around God and everything is oriented toward serving people, and they understand that they, they don't do that, then you help Take them to the cross of Jesus. The one who did it in their place and who died in their place for their failure to love. Paul Tripp says this. (laughs) The key to the family functioning as a redemptive community where the gospel is the glue that holds the family together is parents who so trust in Christ That they are ready and willing to confess their faults to their children. Parents who admit their sin will position themselves to model the gospel for their children daily. So, friends, we model that everything is about God. We model that we are put here to serve others. And we model that we don't do it and we need Jesus, we need the gospel. I had a conversation with a dad of teenagers and he was having to set some extremely difficult, strong boundaries for his teenagers. Surprise, surprise, it was related to cell phones. And he told me, and he was describing how he was having to sacrifice in order to lovingly train his kids. I mean, he, it was costing him time It was limiting him. Um, He was having to give up what he wanted. Um, It was hard. It was a heartache. He hated to make his kids suffer these consequences. It just, you know, you love them and you you hate to see them suffer in any way. Um, There are all these fears about, am I doing this right? Are are they going to respond? What's going to happen? He had to control his temper and hold it back. There are all kinds of ways that parents suffer to train their children. And I told him after listening, I said, you're acting like Jesus. You are sacrificing for the sake of loving your kids well. And I told him that in, in learning to be a father, his heavenly father was still fathering him. His heavenly father was using parenting to teach him how to be a son. Paul Tripp speaks to this. He says, in every moment when you are parenting, you are being parented. In every moment when you are called to give grace, you are being given grace. In every moment when you are rescuing and protecting your children, you are being rescued and protected. In every moment when you feel alone, you are anything but alone because he goes wherever you go. It is impossible for your parenting to ever wander outside the light of his presence. He never forgets you. He never turns his back on you. He never wanders away for a moment He never favors someone else over you. He never gets mad and refuses to be with you. He never grows cynical. He will never give up, and he will never quit. He is tenderly, patiently, faithfully, and eternally with you. You can bank on his care. You can rest in your Father's presence. And when you fail, you will not be punished for your failure. You will fail as a parent. You won't always have the right reaction. You won't always say the right thing, and you won't always want what what is best. It's important to remember that the one who sent you is not only your sender, he is your Savior, and his cross means that you do not have to hide in shame, and you do not have to be paralyzed by guilt because Jesus paid the penalty for every moment when you fail as a parent. Since you do not have to fear God's anger in moments of failure, you can run to him for help and receive his forgiveness and help. Basking in the comfort of God's forgiveness then makes you able to own your weaknesses and confess them not only to God but to your children as well. Parents, in order for us to be the parents our kids need, we have to know that we are continuing to be parented by a father who loves us. On the front of the bulletin, I put one of my favorite verses for parents. It's from Isaiah 40, verse 11, and I'll close with that. Let this be an encouragement to you, moms and dads. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. First of all, what that means is your shepherd loves your children, and he will carry them. You can trust him with them. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them close to his heart. And then here's the, here's, this, is the this is awesome. <laughs> And then what else does this shepherd do? He gently leads those that are with young. You hear what that means? He will be gentle with those who have little ones. <laughs> he loves you, parents. He calls you to do some scary stuff. Um, he knows that you love your children. He loves them more than you do. And he has promised, because he is a good father, to gently carry you as you carry them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder of the good news that we have a father who loves us. And that that you have called us as fathers and mothers to have the joy of showing our children Your love, your heart, your goodness, your gentleness, your humility, your kindness. And Father, as children, we have Jesus, the Son, our brother, who shows us what it looks like to submit to our Father we have a father that we can trust even when it's hard to submit to our earthly fathers and mothers we have a heavenly father we can trust who will take care of us we pray as you come as we come to this table father that you would come and meet us here and nourish us again nourish our weak hearts with the strength of the love and submissive service of Jesus for us. It's in his name we pray, amen.